So Superhuman is really focused on helping businesses and companies uh, basically automate a lot of their processes and whatever they can't automate, try to make highly efficient systems to put in place. today's episode of Rise, Ground, Repeat, we talked to Chris from Superhuman. We chat about how he's using automation to help other businesses grow. We give our two cents on how AI and automation is going to impact business heading into the future. We even chat about whether or not robots are going to destroy humans. Let's dive right in. joining us on another episode of Rise, Ground, Repeat. Um, I'm pumped for this because, I mean, I, I'm already getting nerding out just listening <laughs> to uh, to what you're saying and how you can help and even just where your mind is at before we, we got rolling. And before we get too far into it, we'd love to just, what is your background? Um, yeah, what do you do? How did you, and to preface, I mean, it seems like you're all about automation. And so, yeah, we'd love to hear just your backstory. Definitely. So, um, I come from a family of entrepreneurs. Actually, my family immigrated here from South Africa about 25 years ago. And uh, ever since then, you know, grew up, my, my dad has owned his own company, my grandfather, everything else down the line pretty much has always been towards entrepreneurship. So definitely had a, a strong backing in that. Uh, I think most of my, or the first glimpse of real entrepreneurship I found was actually when I turned about 14 and my dad got me into handgun shooting competitions. Uh, which is a really weird, I guess, quote unquote, <laughs> sport uh, for like the t- common kid to get into. Uh, but my dad actually did that back in the military when he was in South Africa. And so he kind of got me into it when I was 14. And then I fell in love with it because, A, I like competing. I like sports. But I was also always, always kind of small and you know short and weak and mm-hmm. kind of a nerd. So I never really did well at like other sports. And so I started doing this and I was actually really good at it. And within a couple of years, um, you know, came number one in the country in that, uh, in our, in my category. And that's actually not only my first glimpse at entrepreneurship, but also where I learned a lot of like the mindset behind efficiency and automation. And really it just comes down to doing as little as possible to get from A to B. Uh, and I think that translates really well into business and life even today. And so, you know, when I was that age, um, I had to go and market myself. I had to create videos and actually go and like literally cold call uh, potential sponsors so that I can continue doing the sport since it's not a very cheap sport. We've spent, mm-hmm. you know, 50, 60 grand a year. And so I was actually wow. able to get that in sponsorships to kind of cover those expenses um, in my early stages, which was nice because I was, you know, 16 years old, quote unquote, making 60 grand mm-hmm. a year. Except I never got to see it because otherwise I probably would just spend it on video games. Mm-hmm. But um, it was it was definitely a fun, you know, time. And I, I still do it even today. I'm, I'm hoping to get into the uh, world championships for the third time this coming year in Thailand. Oh, that'd be cool. When was the last time uh, you were in it? So last, uh, it happens every four years. And so last time it was in France. And the time before that, I was actually in Florida. And that's when I was actually the captain of the U.S. junior team. Uh, so we actually went there. We won silver. Uh, didn't get gold, unfortunately. But uh, yeah. <laughs> Next time's your, your time for gold. Exactly. Yeah. So that's, that's the goal. And then, uh, you know, like I said, it still has helped me a lot from the efficiency standpoint. But it, it was my first, first glimpse of entrepreneurship and seeing myself kind of as my own brand and, and community, which at the age of 16, I didn't even know what those words were. Mm-hmm. And now it's like become such a huge buzzwords in our industry. So it's been kind of interesting. So that's really where I got my start. And I always knew growing up that I wanted to, you know, have my own business and, and help build a family business, which is actually a dog training school in Cave Creek, Arizona. So I've been working, you know, in that with my dad and which has been really nice because it's been able to give me the freedom to test different ideas and theses. Uh, both on the automation side, which I'm doing more nowadays, as well as like just from marketing, as well as HR. I mean, I've have basically the you know free reign to do a lot uh, that I wouldn't normally have gotten in really working in any other company. And so hopefully, you know, in the next 10 years or so, I can kind of put the systems in place to get my dad to retire and let him enjoy his life. And then that kind of just runs itself. Uh, so that's one of the companies I work out, Partners Dog Training. Uh, and then I did a spinoff of that and actually created the world's first AI dog trainer. Uh, so it's actually a messenger bot that you can talk to, tell, tell them about your dog. And it uses those behavioral characteristics of your dog to give personalized curriculums 
in order to solve problems, teach tricks, and train obedience commands. Gotcha. So it takes what what the dog is is all about, the yeah. breed, all that, its tendencies, and it just gives you a whole itinerary on how to train the dog. Hundred percent. That so is we, sweet. We, we track like fifteen to twenty different characteristics, mm-hmm. uh, and so we'll kind of get into like what AI is. So AI is really just predictions, right? And so it basically you have training data that feeds the AI in order to develop the algorithm. Then you have output data and then you have your feedback data. So the training data is what are the characteristics of the dog? And then we match those to the, you know, just the things that we know about Mm -hmm. dogs after working with them for 40 plus years, training over 40,000 dogs um, in our time. And then we allow the uh, output to be generated from the algorithm. And then we actually get feedback data based on the client and how well our solution and curriculum was effective in training their dog. And that feedback data is really important because that's how you're actually uh, categorizing whether or not uh, your predictions were correct in terms of which things to uh, address. Now, usually we're pretty accurate because, again, we've been doing this for a pretty long time. Uh, but you can really take that type of concept and put it into any industry or any type of mm-hmm. software, any type of algorithm, and uh, it translates pretty well. So, I mean, and I'm not too big on the AI in terms yeah. of knowledge, but, I mean, as we kind of talked about between AI algorithms, I mean, essentially what it seems like is just one big spider webs of if-then statements and then kind of testing it. And as you get the result, you kind of adjust the overall yeah. Um, just, yeah, the, the, the flow, I mean, it, it, that's very, very, very simplified, right. I'd assume. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting because kind of what you described is more machine learning, which is a okay. component of AI, but not necessarily AI. So the way I kind of describe the difference is machine learning is decision-making based on data okay. and AI is just kind of overview of decision-making done by a computer. Uh, So AI is more prevalent in like facial recognition or autonomous driving, which we were talking about earlier. Uh, And machine learning is more like recommendations and like you see in Netflix's algorithm or Amazon's search algorithm. And so it's really taking the data that you're inputting, giving a recommendation, and then based on if you're clicking on that or if you're watching it or how much you've watched of it, decides whether or not that recommendation was effective and then putting feedback back into the algorithm. And that's all done by the machine itself. So it's not like if end statements yeah. necessarily, because that's more traditional software. Um, but it's, I guess, a similar kind of concept. Yeah, it's just, I mean, it, it, it takes it a much further step in terms of 100%. Not, not even just if you do this, but setting up parameters on if you only consume for 20 seconds versus an hour and a half, then it kind of creates a score for yes. you, I guess, essentially. Yeah. And, and then, it, it, yeah. No, that's cool. How, how is the app going? I mean, I, I won one to, to, uh, we have a, yeah. a Chewini and it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a little difficult and stubborn. And so I know the app would, would help us a ton. Definitely. Um, is it on the market? Is it? Yeah. So you can go to Facebook messenger right now. You can type in, Hey Ludwig. It's actually pronounced like L U D W I G. So similar to Ludwig von Beethoven. And that's actually the name of my dog uh, who died about two years ago. And it was kind of like an homage to him. So, uh, hey, Ludwig, on Facebook Messenger, you can start. Uh, it's like literally a dollar to five dollars, depending on what you're trying to train and teach. We really wanted to democratize that relationship between getting credible information personalized to your dog, but uh, not necessarily having to pay the prices of a trainer, which if you were to come to us here in Cave Creek, uh, we would, you know, be thousands of dollars in order to train your dog versus if you can get this information, you can do most of the behaviors and, and solve some you know, things like yeah. stubbornness itself um, with just really quality information at the right time. So if you go into like YouTube, you can sometimes get credible information, but not necessarily it's going to apply directly to your type of dog because what motivates and stops a stubborn Chewini is different than what motivates a German Shepherd. And depending on the age of your Chewini, all of those different factors play in. And so that's what we're trying to kind of combat against between just giving, you know, generalized information. And then also the the credibility side is really important as well. No, that's huge. And are you guys looking to then develop it further and then go into other industries? Because it's, I mean, hear it all the time. I didn't know it. So I went on to YouTube, but at the same time, it's, I'm trying to change the oil on a 95 Tacoma or whatever it is. You might not be able to find that year, make and model, but there's a lot of general information out there. And it seems like you're kind of going to the way where it's a step further and giving you that exact model that, that teaching you based off of what that product person, whatever it is actually is, is your guys kind of move forward plan to try and 
Maybe. Uh, right now, it's it's kind of just we focused on the, the dog training component of it, but the framework, we built it in such a way that it could be white labeled if we decided to go that route. Uh, it's actually interesting because I think we're right at the precipice between AI becoming a much more uh, everyday part of our lives. So I would categorize like the past decade has been more social. The decade before that was really just the beginning of the internet. And now I think the next decade will be AI and automation. And so it's really interesting to see this perspective of uh, the dramatic change that's going to happen in the next 10 years. Uh, and so I think that as AI becomes more prevalent in our lives, uh, you know, software such as the ones that we've created is going to be more uh, open in terms of consumers eyes. No, that's cool. So you have the the dog training business, you have you have the app. What else are you doing? Yeah, so we also uh, or when I was in college at Arizona State University in my junior year, uh, I started another company with a, uh, a friend of mine. And basically, it's a kids plush toy companion. And what it allows for two, two to six-year-olds to interact with it, it's literally like a teddy bear. They take it around their environment, whether it's their school, which we focused on more uh, currently, uh, or even their home. And it can actually recognize objects in that environment. And then it creates games and content based on the child's environment that they're in, as well as their learning ability. So for instance, if they're in uh, a classroom and they're trying to learn about different you know, numbers and maybe do math, uh, then they can go around and there's like little stickers on the object and then they play games throughout it. The really interesting part is that it's completely hands off from the teacher. And the other interesting part is that it changes the content dynamically based on the uh, child's ability, like I mentioned. So for instance, if we're teaching like a secondary language, uh, a child might be three years old and just starting to interact with it. And they're going to get different content than a child that might be four years old and has interacted with it for a year. Uh, so that's really a, a critical component because a we're not only focusing on subjects like the basic subjects of math, English, and science, but also soft skills like uh, secondary language, empathy, leadership, uh, and being able to target those. Because personally, I believe that it's more important for um, children nowadays to be educated in in soft skill type exercises because I know what's coming down the line in terms of AI and automation and the need for spit like memorizing facts and then spinning them back mm -hmm. out like parrots is going to be less and less important, mm -hmm. uh, especially since nowadays we already have pretty much any bit of information that we could ever ask for at our fingertips. Yeah. And eventually it'll just be completely embedded into our, you know, mind itself, uh, which sounds kind of crazy, but it's definitely, you know, theoretically possible. Uh, and so it's just a matter of time before that actually is is uh, apparent. But the one thing that does separate us from machines is uh, our ability to create and our ability to think em uh, empathetically. So that's where that's trying really to focus cool. On. I actually saw an article recently that that I think it was Japan, some other country was testing that we're uploading data, whatever it may be into the brain itself. I mean, it, it, the matrix. Yeah. So, you know, uh, one of Elon Musk's companies, uh, they've developed basically a, a type of hardware that you can actually put onto like the top of your head mm -hmm. and then interacts with your computer. Now it's really basic in, in its concept and it's probably further along in the development stages than they've released publicly. Uh, but that's the first kind of grasp and glimpse at the ability to be able to communicate directly with the machine just with our mind. Uh, so it, it's not much far. Right now it's just like write data towards a computer, but eventually it'll be read and write data on both sides of the uh, equation wow. that's 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 crazy it's i mean it's fascinating yeah. what are you i mean what are your thoughts on on education and call i mean specifically college i think uh uh love to hear your thoughts on it because i mean to me it's it's very expensive and right. i mean at one point it's basically to pass information on and as you mentioned we have information at our fingertips yeah. and uh i mean where do you see the future of just higher education or just education in general going so from our company's perspective, our goal is to be able to teach college level subjects to children before the age of 12, which our mind has the capability of doing that. We just don't have the environments conducive to that type of learning, uh, at least by our thesis. Now, we could be completely wrong, but when I've spoken to you know other PhDs and experts in the industry, they kind of align with that uh, system of thinking. It's just a matter of having the environment that's conducive to that, having the ability to not only relate to a child personally and giving, uh, you know, content that's going to be specialized for them, but also the characters that they're learning from have a really direct uh, relationship with the child that they're learning with. Uh, so similar to the nostalgia that we feel when we go back to Disneyland, because we've grown up with Disney characters our entire life, that's kind of the same type of feeling that we're trying to give children with the actual characters that they're learning from, uh, rather than just a teacher that's kind of 
spitting at them, um, whether it's a lecture and whether, you know, I think we all have that kind of feeling of like a teacher that made a huge impression in our, in our life. Like we can all kind of relate back to that person. Our goal is to try to give that to every child, every single lesson. Uh, so that's one way, one thing. And I know it doesn't really directly answer the question. So college itself, I think is a really good environment for being able to connect with others. And I think it's a really good environment to learn how to learn. I don't necessarily think it's the best environment for actually gaining information that's mm -hmm. going to be useful just because the systems for college are not set up to um, provide information at the rate that it's changing in, in today's environment. Uh, now, there's definitely some caveats to that and there's definitely some programs that do a great job at adapting quickly uh, but i think that in today's environment people are starting to realize that the need for a degree is becoming less and less viable uh, and so hopefully the because really right now college is the only kind of gateway to getting into like corporations and yeah. so forth and so i think they have to change their perspective on the value of a, a college education before um, it'll become less and less necessary yeah which i think is happening i mean it, i think google openly says that i think i mean all the the bigger tech companies where you don't need a bachelor's or a master's or whatever right. to to work here. Um, no, I, I completely agree with you. And uh, it's really cool that technology that, that you have created. I mean, when it comes to younger education or even education in general, are you looking to try and expand that into maybe the business education or even I mean, because you could deploy that in bigger businesses to then train employees. And I mean, it can adapt to how employees would want to train and then right. I mean it reduces the overall overhead and I think people could learn quicker I mean there's yeah. a lot of, of benefits that that could come out by um, having this in the workplace is that something you guys are trying to do or do you even see if you're not do you see this type of technology expanding that way definitely it's not something we're personally trying to do but I could definitely see how the methods that we're using translate into business environments um, most of it just comes down to gamification uh, personalized curriculums and the ability to have a an, in-depth relationship with the character that they're learning from. So I think if you take those kind of core concepts and you take the concept of exploration, because our minds definitely will learn better through exploration than they do uh, from simply memorizing and kind of repeating back out or learning from flashcards. It's kind of the difference between trying to learn a new language by reading through flashcards versus going to the country of origin. It's a much more powerful um, you know, effect on the way that we learn. So I think if companies do take that type of embrace to onboarding their new employees, then they definitely will see better results. Uh, it's not something, like I said, we're personally doing, but my other company does focus on onboarding and HR type stuff. And most of that is just kind of developing curriculums that are able to be repeated and able to um, provide that information in a, in a kind of timely manner to yeah. those new employees. No, that's I, I think that's cool. So the other company that you mentioned, is that the one that's listed on your Instagram? Yeah, so that's called superhuman.com. It's super spelled with a V. Mm -hmm. uh, and the logo kind of makes sense if you look at it. So it's S-V-P-E-R-H-U-M-A-N. Uh, and then the V is turned around. So that yeah. way it looks like a... Um, VA, which is kind of the okay. precipice and, and so forth for the company. Uh, so Superhuman is really focused on helping businesses and companies uh, basically automate a lot of their processes and whatever they can't automate, try to make highly efficient systems to put in place in order to delegate that information and uh, structures out to other you know, employees in order to give their core team uh, the ability to focus more on growth and expansion rather than maintaining and sustaining their business. No, that's awesome. And uh, what are some of the, I guess, use cases that, that you can say? And it's, I, I love what you're doing because yeah, it's, sure. I mean, as we're doing marketing, I mean, driving leads, getting to CRMs, having the sales team try and talk to them. There's a lot that it's like, oh, well, we weren't able to do this or that because of this. I'm like, you should be able to automate that so that it just lands in your lap or uh, right. someone that has a college degree and, and has been in business for 10 years probably shouldn't be doing that task. Um, and so what are some of those tasks that you guys help automate that you've yeah. seen success? I think the Honestly, the most frequent one we've come across is literally just automated sales funnels. Uh, and I say that in a way where some of the bigger companies have it, but at least the companies that we've worked with um, don't have even just like a simple email automation that curates a relationship with their with their customer um, or actually their prospect at that mm -hmm. stage. Uh, so let's say, you know, someone and and we'll give like your agency example. Uh, so let's say someone wanted to work with you guys and they, they first wrote in maybe an email or maybe they 
schedule an appointment through Calendly. Uh, basically, they wait for the actual appointment to be able to chat with the person and give information about their company. And so largely that first 30 minutes to an hour is not necessarily a waste of time because you're still giving that information that's really important, but it could have been used a little bit better and you could have given that information before the call in order to learn more about the company. So what we do is, let's say someone does schedule an appointment with a sales member, um, then we have a whole email drip campaign, which is super simple to set up and yeah. like the fact that people don't even have it is it, kind of it's crazy extraordinary to me yeah so they set it up the first one is just telling about the company the second one might be telling about uh you know testimonials the third one might be services fourth one might be x y and z educational content um, i really focus on educational content because despite what like everyone is saying on social media i still don't think businesses try to educate their customers as much mm -hmm. as they could and i firmly believe that an educated prospect is an empowered prospect and empowered prospects are more likely to do business with yeah. you rather than someone else because they don't feel like you're going to take advantage of them. Uh, and so that's really important. So by the fourth or fifth email, now they're actually going to meet with their sales staff. And that first call can be more like, okay, let's dive into how we can help you directly rather than trying to explain more about the company and share our credibility um, ahead of that. So I think that is really important to set up. And that's honestly a lot of the things that we do, just like setting up that type of process, which is super simple and not necessarily yeah. like amazing or extraordinary or anything like that. Uh, and then the other thing that we do a lot is honestly like chatbots. Uh, so both uh, kind of sales funnel chatbots that are just trying to get people to engage, as well as ones that are actually literally taking the entire sales process and being able to put it into like a canned response template, and then being able to be done by VAs that are making literally one fifteenth uh, the the price of a of a sales uh, yeah. team member and doing it at pretty much the same amount of effectiveness because again, sales is just a matter of taking someone down a path um, that they probably would want to go on anyways because they're there to need help they're they're there to get help and so you're really just trying to assess what their needs are and then giving them the program that's going to work best yeah. for them and so if you can create a canned response template uh, and flow that can be sent still with some type of context, um, then you can pretty much get a sale from someone like people will buy, we sell three to $5,000 packages without ever talking to the person on the phone, without ever meeting with them, just because we know what we need to say and when we need to say it. And we know how to generate that, uh, that flow for the person. Have you been in sales before? Cause I mean, that's, that's literally all it is, is, is identifying a pain point, here's what we have to overcome that pain point. And, and they're going to, I mean, honestly, like consumers are so smart nowadays, like 90% of the time, they're going to know whether or not they want that or not. So yeah. you don't have to necessarily sell someone on it. In fact, I'm coming from the standpoint you asked if I'm in sales, like I've done sales and I've taught salespeople for a large part of my life, but I honestly don't like selling quote unquote, like the, the act of like trying to convince someone to buy something that they don't really need. Like it's really easy to sell something if someone actually needs it and you have the, the right product market fit. Yeah. Um, and so then it's really just a matter of like, okay, you have an issue with your roof is, is gone through a storm. And so you need roof restoration. Well, we do that. And here's the price point. If it works for you, that's great. If it doesn't, maybe we can find something creative to make it work for you. Yeah. Um, but otherwise we may just not be a fit. And so that's literally all we're trying to do. And then we're not trying to sell people on things that they don't need. So. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's not even, it's, con I mean, it's not even selling. It's, it's, yeah. Like I said, just identifying that, that, that pain point. And I think that's what it is, is not just pushing a product down someone's throat, but really wanting to help someone. I mean, it just, just talking to you, it sounds like you're, you're, uh, you enjoy helping others. And I mean, that's, those are typically where the best salespeople come from. Cause it's, you really care about where someone's coming from and what they're struggling with. And it's just, here's something that we have that can help you with it. Right. Here's the price. And yeah, you either like it or you don't. Yeah, exactly. um, going back to the email uh, marketing stuff. So is there a particular platform that you like using or? Um, I would say it's different for depending on the type of industry. Like I've seen some consultants use things like Kajabi or ActiveCampaign. A lot of them tend to do the same things. It's yeah. really just a matter of, again, what fits your budget, what's going to fit your style of uh, speaking. I use MailChimp a lot just because it's what I'm familiar with and it's mm -hmm. easy to set up uh, for like customers and you're able to do things like tag a customer with multiple keywords based on the type of interest that they're in. So let's say you come to me and you're interested in automation for uh, internal business practices, and you're also interested in like an email marketing for your sales team, and you're also interested in a web uh, chat bot 
in order to generate leads. So I can tag you in those three different things and send you campaigns every single day for the next week and a half or two weeks or a month or three months later, uh, targeted specifically to those keywords. Uh, and you can set that up just from the very first point of, of setting the appointment. And so it's really nice to be able to deliver that information curated to the person at the right time in order to make your sales process, quote unquote, a lot easier to, to accomplish. And how do you go about identifying those uh, interests or go about tagging them? Is it just filling out a form on the website? Is, are there different pages that once you have, have them either in your CRM or MailChimp, whatever, you can identify them? Is it based off of what pages they're going to that help identify that? Or how do you? There's, there's different strategies depending on, again, what type of platform you're using. So you can base it off of just simply filling out the form. Or let's say you do have a salesperson speak to them, you can have that salesperson tell about those specific programs and then manually tag them. And then yeah. the the, uh, the rest of it's still kind of automated. Uh, or if you're doing a, like a website chat, you can say, hey, you know, what kind of issue are you trying to solve? So like, let's say for dog training. Uh, so you have a dog that has uh, stubborn. So we have different programs that might fit for that. Um, we can tag you manually in those programs and still be able to generate the end result. Or when we're filling out the appointment form or when we're filling out the contact form, we can just click on the fields that are going to be more, most applicable to you. Um, so that kind of process you can do, or you can base it off of if like you have an email campaign going out, that's more general. And you can say, uh, if you're trying to improve the relationship with your dog, click here. And then the, there's a video that takes them to that. And that video is talking about a specific program that helps you improve a relationship with your dog. Well, the minute that they click on that link, you know that they clicked on that. And so you can add them into a separate funnel specifically for that link that they right. clicked on. So that there's other ways to do it that's more like kind of not straightforward, a little bit beating around the bush. Um, I typically just try to do it straightforward depending on what their actual needs and so forth are. Well, and when it comes to the, I mean, chatbots, it's such a huge thing in just the marketing industry and, and everywhere. I mean, do you, what platform do you use? I mean, ManyChat, that's that's a huge one. And there's, yeah, ManyChat's great for what I found is, it's great for like in Facebook, um, mm -hmm. but I don't necessarily love it as much like if you're trying to keep someone on your website because what it ha ends up doing is usually taking them to Facebook Messenger itself and then they're off your site. So if you have to refer them back to your site, it's kind of like a weird friction. Uh, friction. Yeah, exactly. So um, I use ManyChat to usually generate leads initially or to, you know, curate like almost like an email marketing um similar to email marketing where you're just trying to send broadcasts out. However, for on-site chat, I love a platform called Tidio, T-I-D-I-O. Uh, and it's really just another type of chat agent system. However, it's really good at uh, both on the back end for like users to be able to uh, mm -hmm. track multiple different conversations. It also shows what the consumer is typing before they actually send it. So you're able to start curating a response oh, to wow. them. That's uh, cool. And that's really powerful, uh, as you can imagine, because now you don't have to wait three to four minutes to get a response from someone. You can see, okay, they're wanting to ask about this program. Here's my response to that. And as soon as they hit send, I can hit send to my message as well. Uh, that's so that's really useful. And then it does have in-site chatbots that you can assign to like different pages or you can assign to different things, um, which I typically only use in order to engage someone in a conversation. I typically don't like to take someone down a long flow using chatbots because I think, again, consumers are really smart and they yeah. know that the second that they're talking to a robot, they don't really want to go down that path necessarily just because their, their mindset to it is usually not as effective. Uh, so at least now, in this turn environment. It might change yeah. over the next couple of years and we might be having a different discussion then. But right now I mainly just try to focus on getting them engaged in the conversation and then having a live agent take over and then take them down that same path. It can be done definitely with a direct bot. Um, but the fact that someone has like more of a personal touch to yeah. it uh, just changes their, their feeling to it. And they tend to stay on the chat for at, at least a couple minutes longer. That's where I was going to go. Have you tested like, I mean, I've been on sites where it'll literally have like a, a favicon or whatever that is a robot and some will try and I'm yeah. Sally and yeah. it's a robot. Have, have you tested the two to see what kind of keeps people like is, is being straightforward and say, hey, this is a robot. We'll try and help right. you as much as possible. Does do people go, OK, I get it. And then they stay longer. Does that kind of if you if your intention is to keep them in a straight bot flow, I think definitely saying that it is a bot that they're speaking to will help the conversation along because then people some people are still going to try to quote unquote break the bot just because it's kind of funny to see like you write a response and the bot's like, hi, how can I help you? And you're like, I don't want help. And you're like, hi, how can I help you? And, uh, so it's 
there's definitely those types of uh, use cases where I would say it's definitely beneficial to say, hey, you're speaking to a bot. Here's the kind of responses that you should go down. However, from what we found, it was really easy to see the difference between someone prefers to speak to a live agent rather than speak to a bot. So we just use the bot to engage someone as if it is a live agent talking. And there's like sometimes where people will uh, will write in and they don't get a message back for like a minute as a live agent still kind of tunes into the the chat. Uh, and so they kind of get a little bit irritated. But the times that that happened is, is far between the, the times where it's been very beneficial for us. Gotcha. No, that's cool. I, I love all that. And that's, uh, uh, we're working in CRMs right now and trying to, yeah, automate a lot of the communication between email and, right. and, and text automated and everything automation. If yeah. you can, the more data you have on someone, the easier or uh, more engaging conversation you can have with someone. And at the end of the day, that's all marketing is. And that's all, I mean, selling is, is the more data you can get from someone, then you just respond back with something and, right. and, it's, it's, uh, I mean, that's how we just approach marketing is, is as we produce videos that are educational, the ones you're watching more of, then we kind of retarget you and, and yeah, yeah, so on and so forth. Love, love everything you're, you're chatting about. I mean, everything has been about the marketing side. Do you guys help with just internal business automation? Yeah, that's actually honestly where I love the most. Cause I'm definitely a huge nerd and, <laughs> and I, love the ungratifying type uh, situations that we can go in and just really improve processes. The other nice part about it is when you are targeting more backend systems, you can show a more direct ROI. So I'm sure as you know, like in the marketing industry, industry uh, you're constantly like, okay, if I'm going to spend a thousand dollars in ads, I need to see this much revenue come in. And the second that that's not hitting those marks and the, the client's coming back into like, what the hell's going on? And you're like, ah, just trust the system. <laughs> uh, but for, for backend systems, you can say, hey, this is what we're going to do. Here's exactly how much time it's going to save you. Multiply that by 10 people working $20 an hour doing this for two hours at a time. And here's the direct ROI that you're going to see on the very first day. That's much easier to map out. They can see that a lot easier and you can actually deliver on those results. So that's really where our bread and butter actually lies is seeing what systems they have in place making those systems, making those systems more efficient. And then our team kind of takes them over and just carries them out. Cause the other thing I've found is when you're just a consultant and you come into a business and say, okay, this is what you shouldn't be doing. Here's what you should be doing. Uh, and go and do it here. We're like, let me cash my check. Typically what happens is that you tell them the knowledge and it could be exactly what they need to do, but they don't do it because either they don't know how to do it exactly, or they just don't feel like doing it. And so they're, they go back to their bad habits and they didn't get any value out of you. And so that doesn't create a really ideal relationship for, uh, for a long-term relationship. And so what we've done and decided to do is just say, okay, here's what we, here's what you should do. Here's what you're you know, doing now. And we're just going to implement these systems and we're going to actually take them over and run them for you. And that's how usually we charge as we charge like per hour based on the systems that we're actually carrying out rather than necessarily charging for an upfront setup cost. Um, because then it shows that we have skin in the game because yeah. we want to actually implement the right system for you. That's going to save us time. But at the, at the same side, you can see a direct um, correlation between what we implemented and how much money you're, you're saving each month. And then what we do is we say, okay, here's how much money you save this month. Let's reinvest that back into customer experience, reinvest that into a product, uh, and then actually show dramatic change over the course of the entire business uh, rather than just improving incrementally on the uh, system side. Yeah. So, I mean, instead of uh, just showing a reduction in overhead, you're taking that, reinvesting it somewhere, whether it's marketing, whatever it may be, and then you can amplify it. And then the two combined, you're bringing a new revenue while bringing down overhead, the margins are just so much higher. Yeah. And not even, honestly, I don't like to necessarily just focus on reinvesting into marketing because marketing should be a direct correlation of how good the product is. So I much prefer investing back into the product, making that just an order of magnitude better than whatever else is on the market. And then the marketing will kind of take care of itself. Yeah. Um, because you can invest the same amount of money in marketing or you can double it and you only see that double and change. If you invest, say, the same amount into a product design and that product design completely sweeps over the market, then all of the marketing is kind of taking care of itself. And then you still have the back end systems that are scaling up alongside of it. And that flywheel just kind of goes out of control. That's awesome. So what are some of the, the things that you have uh, helped businesses automate internally? Um, I mean, there's something that come to mind that, that yeah. could be done. What, uh, and I guess what has had the most impact? What has sure. kind of 
people are like, yeah, I love that. That's what I've been wanting. I would say the most like low hanging fruit is going to be, you know, customer su customer support. That's where a ton of drag time is mm -hmm. is taken. And instead of like most companies just look at putting a bandaid on situations rather than actually fixing the core problem. And so just by simply saying, okay, 10 people have written in today about this specific issue, A, we're going to just completely automate whenever they write in about that issue, we're going to give them a, a response back depending on, you know, their maybe certain parameters. Uh, but then let's actually solve the issue in that product and get feedback on that. And a lot of companies just don't take a, a standpoint to that. They're just like, oh, well, let's just answer the question and go on to the next person. But they don't realize how much time is just being wasted on repeating the same yeah. answers. Uh, so a lot of it, you know, I would say definitely customer support is a big issue. Uh, you know, things like onboarding, uh, new new hires is a big issue. Uh, building the right culture is really going to make a dramatic improvement mm -hmm. to the way that your business actually runs. And so many companies don't have like a seamless way to onboard someone to actually qualify a potential applicant to tell them about your culture values and make sure that they're aligned with that and all those different things down the line. So that is necessarily not necessarily like automation directly, but it is because yeah. you're automating the process that um, someone is introduced to your company, you're making that consistent, and you're creating a better experience around that. And that first impression is really powerful, because that's the same type of impression that that person needs to give their new hire as the as the you know stream continues down the line. Yeah, I, I mean, I think company culture is hard to cut you off. I think company culture is, is huge. Um, and it's only going to grow more important. Um, what are some of the things that I guess you do to help pair the right person with this is our company culture, yeah. eh, you're not a fit because you answered this way or whatever it is? How, how, how do you kind of help with that? So I mean, there's so many books on on this. So I definitely don't want to give like a, a watered down response. Mm -hmm. uh, but a couple strategies that we've implemented is a making sure that the very first like interaction you have with someone, you're very clear on the values that you want your company to represent. Now, typically those values should come from the company itself. It shouldn't just come from like a higher up uh, person saying, here's what we're going to be, yeah. uh, because those usually don't translate well, right? Uh, so usually that's brought on by the founders. I would say around five to eight people is you should be developing like the culture that your company should be uh, should hold important, whether that's uh, working hard or whether that's more work life balance or it doesn't really matter what those values necessarily are. It just matters that it works for your company and that you can find people that align with those values. Now, definitely don't be like, oh, we're going to, you know, build it <laughs> or we're going to definitely build systems that hurt people. Like that's not <laughs> the right culture. Like you shouldn't be implementing that. Um, but the, you know, once you have those values in place, then I would say building something like a culture deck um, is a really just super simple way to automate that, um, that uh, original kind of introduction to uh, a new hire. So uh, that was originally taken actually, I believe from Netflix. Uh, there's a book that's written on it. Uh, and I have to look that up. But uh, basically, it just is those core values, mm -hmm. the kind of principles underneath each of those values and how they can actually maintain those. And then once that's introduced to a new hire, they're able to say, okay, yeah, this is who I am, or this is not who I am. And then let's part ways while we're still good and, and so forth. And we don't have to waste too much time because the biggest train is hiring someone that's not right. And then they stay in that position. And saying that my my dad actually says uh is that the right person will never come along if the right person if the wrong person's in that job uh so yeah yeah so you can't actually get to who the you know optimal person is for a given you know job task role whatever it may be uh until you get the wrong person out of it so you do need to hire fast uh get them on board as quickly as possible and and building systems to do that makes that a lot easier but then if they're not aligning and they're not doing the right work and usually that's a pretty telltale sign um you can usually tell from just the people that are working with them uh then you know get them out of there as quickly as possible so that they don't drain your resources even more because a person that is wrong for the company culture will create such a huge drain um, for the morale that it'll just bring everyone down. Even if that person is a highly functioning individual and they're actually doing a good job in their work itself, if they're bringing other people down and making their lives miserable, then it's never going to work. One bad apple spoils the bunch. Do you listen to Gary Vee at all? Uh, I used to a lot. Uh, and I just honestly, the reason why I don't is because I'm just more into reading books and so forth yeah. right now. So, uh, but I, I do follow him on, on yeah. social and so forth, mainly just because I find it interesting to look at the strategies and like actual tactics of what he's doing. Yeah. Um, but you know, his kind of 
rah-rah stuff is pretty interesting yeah. too. Well, I just bring it up because I mean, everything you just said right now, the, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're super negative to everyone else. They could be the highest producing person, right. but could have a negative impact on everyone else. Yep. And yep. even though this one person's overly producing over here, you have 20 people that are under, which right. could greatly negatively 100%. impact. The, and, uh, and that, that situation plays out so often that I've seen. And like the minute that that person gets out, like the, the uptick that your business has is, yeah. But what's crazy is, I mean, people can see that. I mean, even executive, whatever it may be, but that person still stays. And I, like, I, I don't know what that is, whether it be pride or. I think ego definitely has a, yeah, a big play I, into I, it, yeah. especially in our industries, like where it is, you know, largely entrepreneurship or sales or marketing. These are all very big personalities, and and they have a lot of charisma, and so the. Simple fact that someone doesn't like them just doesn't see, they don't see that as an option. Uh, and so they, uh, I think that that definitely plays a part into it. And it's probably, you know, something that we all deal with. Like, I'm sure there's a lot of people that don't like me and it's perfectly fine. I'm not, you know, made to be everyone's <laughs> cup of tea. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. So how do you see just automation really impacting businesses as we move forward? I mean, I, I think I, I'm 100% in agreement with you that think just we're about to level up this next decade right. with AI automation and there's a lot that's going to happen. I mean, it's, it's kind of like going back to the industrial revolution that there's just yeah. a huge shift in just how business is done and how things get to market and everything like that. I mean, what are some of the biggest impacts or industries that you see? So it's just funny that you mentioned that because yesterday I just finished uh, my book that's coming out here pretty soon. Uh, shameless plug here, but it's basically talking about mastering efficiency and productivity is the is the title. And AI is a huge section in there because obviously I'm really passionate about it. And we look at some of the use cases, not only just in industries, but also specific things. So like, I'm sure you've heard of Amazon before. Um, they're kind of a big company. Uh, if you don't, go look it up. It's called Amazon.com. <laughs> get out from under your uh, eye. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, so, okay. The past, like, what, they've been around for... 20, 25 something, years, something 95, like that. I think is they've like. been just a, you know, marketplace and a shipping and logistics company. Right. And they're still going to be a logistics company in the future, but most likely right now they have an algorithm in place that makes recommendations to products that you might be interested in. And let's say that algorithm, I don't know the actual numbers, but let's say it's around 10% to 15% accurate. So if they show you an image of a new shoe, uh, the you're 10% likely to actually buy that shoe. Right following me so far mm -hmm. okay cool uh in the future and maybe not so far in the future um that algorithm is going to keep getting better and better and more accurate especially as they're able to touch more into your life like your physical world like they've done with dash buttons uh you'll be able to they'll be able to time the things that you want at the times you actually want it with the products that you might want to buy mm -hmm. And as that algorithm becomes increasingly better in its effectiveness to recommend or, or to recommend products, it might get to 80, 90, whatever that kind of margin is. They will turn not into a um, shipping and logistics company, but a returns and logistics company. So they're going to literally just ship you products based on the likelihood of you needing that product. They might wait a few days before actually charging your card and then charge your card and just rely on the fact that you're not going to return it because their accuracy of prediction is a lot higher than your accuracy of returning the item. Uh, if they do decide to return your, or if you do decide to return your item, there's going to be things and processes in place. Maybe it's a, instead of a delivery truck, maybe it's a return truck and you just drop it off in your front door, they pick it up and then your card is not charged or yeah. they refund your money or whatever. And so the likelihood of you doing that is a lot less than the likelihood of you not doing that. And so they're going to be turning into that type of company that type of company and that's really where their kind of peak performance will be at its highest so that's one example of how ai is going to impact yeah, an industry see. yeah pretty interesting right mm -hmm. uh another one is so elderly right the elderly population is growing even more and more and as we come out with solutions both on the medical side as well as i know people that are literally working on the cure to aging itself uh which is blowing my mind because wow. i'm over yeah yeah exactly and so like how like so I, I spent six months in silicon valley and lived down there mm -hmm. and uh met these incredible people doing incredible things and they're focusing on things that are going to impact us in the next 50 years rather than i'm like all right how do i you know pay rent tomorrow <laughs> uh so yeah. that's like I always kind of laugh whenever I talk to someone and they're like, oh, wow, you're really cool. You're doing a lot of cool things. I'm like, dude, you don't even know. Like there's someone that's working on curing <laughs> aging. Literally, yeah. <laughs> and I'm talking about chatbots. Like that's cool, but not that Perspective. cool. Yeah, exactly. So uh, humility. So as those types of 
advances come out in technology and science, uh, the aging population or the you know life expectancy of the elderly population is going to continue to rise. Now that will bring a lot of financial um, you know or to the economies, a lot of improvements to the economy. But it's also going to mean that people that were always retiring at 65 now they're living to 90, 100, 110, whatever it may be, maybe even more. And we have to find a way to not only support them, but also, you know, have access to things that make their lives easier. And so a big part of uh, a elderly person's cost is their insurance. And the reason why it's so high is a they have a lot of medical issues as they get older. Um, But also what has been found is that a lot of elderly citizens actually use the excuse uh, of a medical issue to go and see the doctor simply because they want some form of human interaction that day. Uh, because they're spending a lot of time alone and that's leading to depression and anxiety and all these other factors um, that probably are becoming a problem. And so because of that cost, just to see a doctor to have that human interaction, there's obviously a need there. And so what I've seen is chatbots come into place and actually give the necessary human interaction for an elderly person and uh, be able to lower their insurance costs because they're seeing the doctor less. They're able to work through maybe type of therapeutic type issues um, at a better rate. And there's almost no cost because it's just a bot. And so those companies that are creating those types of softwares are charging the insurance companies themselves. So they're not even charging the elderly, which would have obviously happened in the future. Yeah, exactly. Because the insurance companies see it as a way, okay, we don't have to pay as much out in insurance. So we're saving our money. Exactly. Yeah. So, so that's, that's one industry that's also really interesting from AI perspectives. And what's also interesting about that is that, as I'm sure, you know, there's a lot of elderly people that just don't know how to use you know, certain technologies. And so they're actually creating those technologies for literally like Nokia phones, right? (laughs) That are like all text-based and that have no type of like LTE, internet, 5G signal. Uh, And so it's it's interesting to see how those dynamics change as you look at that type of population. So I'm really interested in how the elderly industry um, is going to be, you know, changing in the future, especially since uh, my parents get to that and my grandparents are in, in that stage. And so um, that's another interesting, interesting industry. Of course, there's always the the key buzzwords of like uh, autonomous driving and, and yeah. things like that that are impacting industries. Um, but typically, I would say AI is going to first impact very, you know, highly technical jobs because they're able to look at a ton of different data and make decisions based on that. And they're also really good at micro jobs, such as like surgical procedures, um, because those, again, are things that are typically hard for like a human being to to do. Yeah. And so there's a lot of education that goes into that versus a, a robot can make billions of simulations um, in order to you know find the best strategy and so forth. So I think those are going to be like the two extremes that are going to be impacted first. What's honestly the hardest is like simple manual labor, or like warehouse jobs, um, because it's really difficult for like a robot to be trained on like, okay, if this is a water bottle, here's how I have to adjust my hand. Here's the type of the um, pressure that I use to pick it up. Like all of those factors are really difficult for um, a robot to do consistently across all these different sizes of packaging. So warehouse jobs are probably like the safest, I think, for the <laughs> longest, uh, which is kind of interesting. So, yeah. So what do you think? I mean, I think most people's worry is it's going to take all these jobs and no one's going to have any jobs. How, what, what is the whole, how are people going to make money if, uh, yeah, yeah, AI comes in, robots come in and what are your just thoughts on that? Yeah, that's likely. Yeah. No, I'm I'm good. Good. Uh, <laughs> no so, uh, you know, I think that we always see this in any type of revolu- revolution is, uh, you know, everyone's concern for jobs. I think it will displace some jobs mm-hmm. and just like before, uh, you know, there's going to be things in place that you're going to have to readapt and, and educate yourself on in order to adjust to the work environment and, and workplace culture and so forth. Um, but I also do think that AI will bring some form of, you know, cost savings. So the need for a job maybe will be less um, potentially. And also there's other factors that we have to consider as well. So like energy is actually a really major cost to us today. Uh, And so I'm actually a really big proponent on nuclear energy. And the reason why is because we could put 100, say, nuclear power plants around the country, and that would supply enough power that we really wouldn't have to, um, you know, pay for that. And what's interesting is that when nuclear energy creates energy and and essentially brings that cost to a negligible amount, uh, there's a lot of other industries that are impacted by that. Uh, So, you know, with energy being essentially free, obviously, you know, 
uh, water becomes a lot cheaper or negligible cost because you can use energy to power desalination plants. And then once water is free, you can use that to create more produce and, and uh, you know, feed uh, or uh, to, you know, get meats and so forth like that. So then your water and your food costs become a lot less. Um, you can use that same energy to create more sustainable materials that can be used to build houses. So you can actually decrease your housing costs. And so I actually might look at or I, I think that the way that we're going in the future is potentially a need for like a universal basic resource um, so like housing and food and water and so forth um, and then that will actually create less of a need for like physical jobs necessarily that are just like your nine to five people that are just working simply to pay their bills which is yeah. a large portion of our of our uh, economy uh, and so it might be similar to like the time that we saw in in Roman times where they were at the the height of the Roman Empire and they had so many um, other you know countries and and civilizations paying taxes to the Romans that inside Rome itself they were literally just focusing on like things like the arts or um, technology and they were able to kind of just live like a really peaceful life um, of course until like their emperor <laughs> destroyed it but um, you know as as greed usually does mm -hmm. but I think that might be a similar to like what we're seeing in the future where robots will kind of handle like those monotonous tedious tasks that um, you know, were t typically taken care of by people that really weren't enjoying them in the first place. Yeah. And those cost savings might trickle down to um, into the economy and, and hopefully it'll be less of a need for jobs necessarily. But if you are concerned about whether or not your job is going to be taken over by AI, uh, it's definitely a possibility. And I think just focus on, you know, things that are more creative in nature um, because those will be longer uh, or more difficult for AI to kind of take over. Yeah. I mean, it's just, Everyone sees it coming. It's uh, maybe just taking an extra hour out of your day and just educating yourself on something else where you can maybe pivot yeah. as maybe your job gets taken. But no, that's an interesting point on uh, everything you just said. Cause that's, I mean, I didn't think of that, but where my mind goes is everyone focuses on the jobs that are lost, but no one really right. talks about how many jobs are going to be created. How many jobs are going to be created that aren't even here that we even know about. And it's like, yeah. sure. It might take hundred thousand jobs, but with all this automation, AI and everything, it could create a million. And now you have a surplus of 900,000 jobs. Now it's a matter of, are you educated to do the job and all that type of stuff? And that's and why I think learning how to learn is such a powerful skill in itself. And that is something that college does do a good job because it kind of forces you into that environment of forcing you to learn how to learn. Um, even if the knowledge that you're gaining isn't necessarily useful for you at that exact moment. Uh, so I think that is a, a really good point uh, in terms of being able to see the jobs that could be created. And sometimes it's really unseeable. Like no one would ever thought podcast host would be a viable <laughs> right. job for anyone, um, you know, not even 10, 20, 15 years ago. And now it's like very, very common practice mm -hmm. for everyone to have a podcast. Right. Uh, so that's that's interesting. And then, you know, like I said, there's always value in or so. OK, so let's look at like autonomous driving. So likely semis will be the first to go autonomous because they're usually driving like straight highways and then there's two potential possibilities either you'll still have a driver on the semi itself um, to you know provide security or maybe yeah. if something breaks down to to provide maintenance uh, and so that job necessarily won't be chain or it won't be uh, it won't go away but it'll yeah. just kind of change in its nature um, and they'll be able to drive for a lot longer because they won't have to physically be focusing on the road. Uh, they can just kind of relax and, and they're probably going to enjoy their lives better because tr truck driving is, uh, you know, very bad on your back and, yeah. you know, causes a lot of health issues and so forth. So that's always an improvement. But also uh, there could be the other possibility where a truck, you know, goes to, say, point A and then the or so the driver takes them to point A. The truck goes from point A to point B, stops on the side of the road, another driver pulls up to point B and carries the truck over to their last mile. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the other possibility is that they do the main part of the trip um, autonomous and then the uh, last mile or the first mile is kind of taken over by a truck driver. Yeah. So, so again, those jobs might become like less important, um, but you also have to consider like, what is the, you know, is that exciting for that person? Is that really their passion? And maybe it is, and yeah. that's great. Uh, or maybe there's something that they would like to do more. And so they can maybe make more money by educating themselves in that field. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what we're talking about before we got going is, uh, I mean, most people don't like driving in rush hour I mean, driving in general. And it's like, could you be doing something else that either makes you happier, has a bigger impact on the world, the economy, whatever it is. Um, I mean, how many people wake up not liking their job and, and then just, how many 
people just say, I wish there was more time in the day. And it's like, well, if you have a lot of people that are waking up, not, not liking their job and a lot of people that are in the same agreement that there's just too much stuff going on and there's not enough time in the day, I think there's a lot of room for improvement in terms of efficiencies and, and for automation to come in and help create those efficiencies. Yeah. One thing that it shows itself time and time again is with automation, with AI, in, it increases cost savings and cost savings almost always get reinvested into customer experience. Um, so you're almost always going to increase the the actual experience for the end user, uh, whether that's the person that was in the job and they're going to a different job that get, that makes them more happy um, or it's the actual person interacting with that previous role. Yeah, no, I love that. And as we kind of it's kind of wrap up, uh, you're, I mean, you're doing a lot. You got a couple different things, a couple different businesses going on. Um, you're literally at the head of the forefront when it comes to just technology and all that. I mean, you're definitely deep into it. What does this next year look like for you? What are, what are your goals or what are you trying to do? Yeah. Um, yeah. I have no clue. I mean, well, so I'm going to definitely dive deeper into the businesses that I'm running now. Um, I think I have enough on my plate to kind of preoccupy me uh, for, for at least <laughs> yeah. a period of time. Uh, so hopefully just growing, growing that, growing Superhuman um, is definitely, you know, a big passion for me. I, I, I see Superhuman as a vehicle company to be able to take any ideas that I come across later. Maybe it's, um, you know, the, the, um, Toy Up, which is the plush companion, um, and taking those ideas and concepts, being able to have a team of 100,000, whatever amount of people to take that. And literally, we're going to, we're building out systems that uh, take a product from conception to creation, to testing, to marketing, to sales, and all the way down the line, customer experience and reiterations um, onto that. So what we're trying to create is one massive system for um you know, business production yeah. and then be able to look at, okay, how much can we save right now and wait kind of for the next recession <laughs> um, and then go and essentially like buy up businesses and either have such an in-depth knowledge into those industries just from the customers and clients that we're working with already uh, to be able to actually take that, make the business itself more efficient and be able to uh, to run it more effectively, create a better experience for its customers and uh, so forth. Yeah. I, know, I mean, I know it's so we're going to wrap up, but you just said something that uh, interesting, the whole recession. <laughs> I mean, statistically, we've gone the longest without one. I mean, do you see one coming on or, or do you think that because technology is going to be create, creating so much efficiencies yeah. as the evolution of technology happens, is it going to prolong that that overall recession that might be coming? Because it's, it's definitely, I mean, just everyone's talking about it. I mean, yeah. it's, it's been a while. So I think the one thing that we know for sure is that no one knows for sure yeah. um, because everyone's been saying for the past X amount of years that it's coming. Mm -hmm. um, I think that it's important to prepare for it and just like Apple's doing where they have literally $200 billion, actually 200 million less today because they just acquired a company um, in the AI space, by the way. Oh, really? Yeah, so they just acquired uh, NAR.AI or something like that and it's basically a... It, the literally the landing page is just like the name of the company and then like a contact email. Uh, so they're obviously wow. really secret, yeah. <laughs> but they paid two hundred. Uh, Apple paid two hundred million dollars for it, so they must have wow. some type of interesting wow. technology. Um, and it's I guess the the theory of the company is to be able to be able to allow developers that don't know as much about AI and give them access to embed AI into their current systems. So we'll see how that actually plays out uh, and maybe how that's going to help uh, Apple in its own AI quests and, and maybe AR as well, uh, since that's probably the next big thing that they'll focus on. Uh, I think that in general, the recession of some sort of level is likely to happen. It's not 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 going to happen probably. Yeah. Um, I do think though that with the increases in efficiency and AI, the impact of it will be a lot less. Yeah. Uh, so even if it does happen, it probably won't happen to the degree that we've seen previously where obviously there was a lot of fraud going on as well. But, uh, you know, just the amount of infrastructure that was built around a bubble um, mm -hmm. was there. And so hopefully with the efficiencies that come from technology, that won't be as uh, pronounced. Yeah, no. That, I love it. It's a, uh, I bought, it's funny. I bought my first house literally two months, uh, in 2008 before the huge uh, crash. It, yeah. Literally lost 55% held on to, it. I still have it. And I mean, okay. it's come way back. Nice. I mean, but yeah, it's just, yeah, that's the thing. If you can wait seven years for pretty much needing to get your money out of any purchase, like you're probably going to be fine. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, that, that is unfortunate yeah. <laughs> for that timing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I honestly like, 
I've looked at buying houses or property at this point, um, but I'm still kind of holding off because I'm like, mm, maybe we'll yeah. get a discount here in a bit. Um, so there's that, uh, and we'll see. Yeah. Well, I appreciate the time. I uh, would love for you to have the opportunity to uh, highlight one or all your businesses. And I guess where can people find you? And if there is a business that's watching that has any questions about automation or how they can uh, use your services to create efficiencies within their business, how uh, would they get a hold of you? For sure. So, uh, the company is called superhuman.com. So it's S V is in violin, P E R H U M A N. And then my email is just Chris at superhuman.com. Uh, not really huge on Instagram, but you can follow me at Chris eight, five, two, five, eight. And that's again, another nerdy thing. Cause like when I used to play video games, it's the top, middle, bottom, middle, top keys on, <laughs> on the, on the, uh, on the keyboard. So that's like, I've had that for literally 10 that's years. Hilarious. Uh, yeah. So, so there's that. And then let's see. Yeah. I'm coming out with a book. We actually just finished the, uh, the, kind of second to last draft yesterday. Uh, and that's going to be called Mastering Efficiency and Productivity. So hopefully by the time you're listening to this, um, it'll be out uh, on Amazon and Audible as well as what we're is what we're kind of hoping to launch on. And so uh, maybe we can do something, I guess, like with the podcast for anyone that's listening, we can give like a free copy or something like that. We can figure that yeah, out, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah, we can figure it out whether they reach out to us or reach out to you. Cool. Uh, yeah, we'll include that. Yeah, definitely. So if you do email me or anything like that, uh, just put in the the the, uh, the uh, subject line or somewhere that uh, you heard me on the podcast and we'll give you uh, something free. If you can create a landing page, we'll just put that in the yeah, show notes or whatever and uh, yeah, post it with it. Cool. Cool. All right. well, I appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. I appreciate having me on. Awesome. Thank you.